Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is February 13th, 2018. If you don't know about Moritomo Gakuen, it is a school, a private school in Osaka that got a really sweet land deal through an affiliation with the Prime Minister. Michael, this one won't die, will it? An alleged affiliation from the Prime Minister. Because my wife doesn't know anything about it. Your wife, who was indeed the honorary principal of the school, knew nothing about the school, and never had any effect upon the way that bureaucrats decided the price of It that. has nothing to do with me. No, it's not, absolutely. That's no, she... the Prime Minister's basic line, and it has been the line that he has held ever since this scandal broke. Right. And again, it's a small potato. It is small potatoes. In the grand scheme of things, Prime Ministers have fallen for far worse violations. This one seems to be a tempest in a teapot. It seems to be a tempest in a teapot, but it feeds into a, a broader narrative of the privatization of Japan's various initiatives in terms of growth, in terms of its security affairs, that it's all going back to the Abe's personally. Mm -hmm. And in this particular case, there's a, a very tight relationship to pre-war state Shinto, right. in that this school was going to be uh, the first state Shinto, they didn't say that, but they basically made it very clear in their literature that this was a state Shinto institution, the first one since the end of, of World War II. Right. And that they would be going through all of the motions that schools in the pre-war era did in terms of emperor worship, in terms of reading the rescript on education, and in terms of tying themselves to a broader historical narrative of the holy origins of the Japanese state. And what's wrong with that? Well, in this case, it's something that... The Prime Minister believes in? Believes in, but that's a private belief and is supposed to be external right. to his particular behaviors. Now, what made this unpalatable was not that ideology. Right. And indeed, that the, the ideology was the reason why the Prime Minister's wife was involved, because she has to cover his bases. Even if he can't mm -hmm. visibly support the far right and its agenda, she can often back up. Right. She also goes the other direction. She often supports uh, initiatives involving South Korea. She's very flexible in that mm -hmm. in, in that way and very useful to him. In this, in this instant, however, she got himself involved with what are a bunch of shysters, uh, crooks. And these crooks, by using her and her reputation, were able to crowbar out of one of the weaker branches of the finance ministry, its kinky branch, the ability to get a piece of land for virtually nothing. That hardly ever happens. But it, 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 it happens, but it happens on an unfortunately frequent amount of times yeah. for the friends of Abe. Mm -hmm. And that's happening all over, whether you're looking at the Pezzi computer investment, whether you're looking at uh, the Kakegakuen, the veterinary school, veterinary right? school, all these friends of Abe or people who latch on to Abe and offer him this kind of, oh, here's my new whiz-bang idea. Right. They get funded. Mm -hmm. and they, or they get tax exemptions or something. But there's no real tit for tat there. I mean, he's not lining his pockets with cash because he's, he's helping his friends out. That's right, but helping your friends out is something that, one of the few things that the opposition can at least paint Mr. Abe as doing. Right. He's not a corrupt individual. He's not a Tanaka. He's mm -hmm. not someone with his hands in, in everybody's pot of gold. But his friends seem to get great deals. Right. And in this case, we, what, what's made this scandal so fascinating is that its various 
pieces of the finance ministry fighting each other, and particularly the seeming envy of the very uh, obvious promotion of Mr. Sagawa, the former head of the branch, who had to offer testimony in the Diet, exonerating his group and saying that there were no more documents, there's no evidence that there was any kind of, here's the word, collusion in getting this particular school a cheap piece mm -hmm. of land and it had nothing to do with the Prime Minister, and he went on and on and testified in the Diet. He was bumped upstairs to a full directorate of, in fact, Japan's taxation, mm -hmm. nice, a nice promotion, and it turns out that there, is, there are documents. Right. It seems like that there's, there, there's two forces at work here, one which is obvious, the prime minister, and a kind of a secret force that's battling against this and always raising this up. You and I predicted a while ago that the prime minister's um, term right now would be fraught with just, you know, darts and scandals and, and, and barbs that weren't really big but were made out to be really big. And this one here just won't go away. It won't go away. And the thing is, it, there's, some, there's someone within the finance ministry who is providing this material to what would normally be the people who are completely on the outside, which is the Communist Party. It's the Communist Party that keeps bringing these sound recordings, paper documents. Somebody's feeding them. Someone is feeding them right. and has been feeding them and has been leading them on this chase. Mm -hmm. And... How embarrassing that must be. The diet is in session now, and, and some of these members come up. It's their turn to ask the question, and they come up with this ream of documents. And how about this one here? You didn't say anything about this. And Mr. Abe tries to go on or say, okay, well, let's talk about the budget. Let's, right. Or I'm going to, I'm, I may go to Pyeongchang for the Olympics. I may not. I'm not feeling good about, you know, justifying everything that's going on there. And they keep bringing out these, yes. these little pinpoint, but again, it was a big ream of documents. Yes, though. but it's, a, it's, it's death pages? by a thousand little cuts that they're trying to put into him. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of the eventual effect, we haven't seen it at all in any of the, the opinion polls. In fact, his Kyoto numbers went up. They're now above 50% for his, mm -hmm. his cabinet. Uh, part of that has to do with the Olympics. And uh, indeed, if the LDP wants to get something done that's really controversial, this next week and a half was the time to do it because no one's paying attention to what's everybody's going on. Everybody's watching TV. Everybody's watching you know, whether Japan's athletes will manage to get some medals right. or not, which they did yesterday for the first time. Congratulations. Congratulations. And with that, the, there is a plenty of room for all kinds of skulldudgery. So it's mm -hmm. hard for the politicians who are trying to make a splash uh, to keep on the, the front pages because indeed, right now, it's all Olympics all the time. The intriguing part about this story, Michael, is the, the possibly the faction within the, the finance ministry that just keeps lobbing these grenades over the wall. Well, every time that someone gets raised up, someone gets a promotion, someone else missed out and most likely was in fact forced out of the ministry because the pyramid gets smaller and smaller toward the top and you just get kicked into Amagudari positions right. if, you're, if you lose out for one of the top spots. Whenever Sagawa shows up on TV, I just, I, I wait to hear from the gallery, boo, boo, throw, you know, paper being thrown because he is a, a detested individual these he days. He was very much a detested individual and indeed that same poll that I said supports the prime minister Two-thirds of, the, of the, those polled say he's got to come back and, and face the fire in the Diet, which his ostensible boss, 
Asotaro, the finance minister, says is unnecessary. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen, right. right? So this this is the, and this is the way that, in some ways, is very familiar. The infighting within the bureaucracies, the bureaucratic politics, opposition versus. LDP politics may be dead, but that fighting within the various ministries with the finance ministry as the fulcrum point, mm -hmm. that's, that's old time. That's, 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 that's the kind of politics that we remember. Right, right. Suspicious people might think that it might be something with also the foreign minister, the vice prime minister lobbying or kind of jockeying for a position should the prime minister begin to teeter. I don't know how that would work though because it, he's also the person responsible for keeping this store, the lid on the store. It doesn't quite make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. So the people who, who do say that, they're putting forward theories. There, there really is no clear explanation why the finance ministry is divided on this. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that, yes, Mr. Sagawa lied. And he's not being brought out because he lied. Right. And at, at that point, it's only going to be a continuing sore that festers and continues to wound the prime minister. Right. The Moritomo Gakuen scandal. Is it a tempest in a teapot? We'll continue to watch and report to you. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is February 13th, 2018. Okinawa has always been a hotbed of political activity and last week there was an election for mayor the current mayor was going up for election, he stood for election, and he got beat. Michael, it means a lot to the United States forces moving to Henneko. It's a, you have to give a little bit of a backstory. Mr. Inamine, is, who was the incumbent, had shifted the opinion in his area against the base, and he had, in fact, led a government inside his local assembly that was contrary to the, the building of the base. Now, when the Abe administration came in, They've put on a full pond press on Okinawa and indeed have started the preliminary construction on the base, which is supposed to be in that, the bay, which is Nago Bay, at, at a place called Henoko. Right. And so this was going to be a second round. He, the the anti-base forces had won four years ago, and this was a second try. And this time it seems that Mr. Abe was not going to lose a second time, and through various and sundry promises, and, which were all tacit and off the, off the screen, a challenger, Mr. Toguchi, uh, was successful in challenging the anti-base movement, right. and which is supported by the main government of Okinawa Prefecture. Opinion polls even today, Michael, say that the opposition to moving to Henneko is two-thirds over the people who want it there and still they won the election. Yeah, that's, this is one of the interesting things that I, I think that we have to, in looking at this issue and looking at this particular election and the one that's coming up, which is the Nago City Assembly election, which where the, where the legislators for this town will be chosen. And in, again, the government forces may win there, but I mean the central government forces, not the, the uh, Okinawa government forces, but the, the central government uh, may see a pro-base majority in what is currently an anti-base assembly. We have to take a step back and think about the, the resources that the national government and the LDP can put into a single local election. Mm -hmm. And turnout was incredibly high for an, an off uh, 
off, well, it's basically an off-schedule election. 76%. So a huge, huge turnout, right. much greater than national elections get. Uh, so clearly there was push from, from both the anti-base side trying to save itself and the, a, a serious effort, you can almost say an operation, right. by the central government uh, to support a candidate who is not fully, clearly in the pro-base, uh, who's basically neutral or at least not no comment on whether he was for the base relocation or not. Mr. Toguchi, a former assemblyman in the Nago uh, Assembly. Yeah, so it's, you can talk about it being something of a, uh, a shot in the dark by, by the LDP. And indeed, Inamine himself in the past has been on different sides in this issue. So you have to say, okay, there's Okinawa Prefecture and then there's Nago City. And, right. the, the, and I don't think that you, persons who may feel uh, a great deal of sympathy for the Okinawan position, which is very rational, why do we have 75% or maybe a little bit less now of uh, the US forces. Uh, US forces, US basing on our tiny island? Mm -hmm. Why is that, how is that in any way fair? Versus Nago City. Now, Nago City was chosen back in the 90s as the relocation spot, and they accepted it. And they received, in return, a whole slew, an immense amount of government spending, uh, contracts, all kinds of things, which they all spent. Mm -hmm. And then after they had received all of the goodies before a single pile had ever been driven, they switched around and said, we don't want the base. Right. Change your mind. And now they've come back and they're selling the same horse twice. Right. And they say, oh, maybe we'll take the base. And they're going to get all these goodies all over again. We'll see if the central government is stupid this time and does exactly the same thing, which is pay in advance. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they can go against the base again. Who knows? But they've, they've already accepted the largesse from the central government in, in compensation. And they're going to get it again. Well, so... For, for the Nago City, I think should be set aside as a special case of, you know, they, they've, they've had it pretty good. Sure. One of the things Okinawans almost invariably complain about is the heavy hand of Tokyo in implementing, you know, Tokyo's will throughout all of Okinawa, the, the poorest prefecture of, of all 47. Yeah, and, and, and that, that was always something that they really could do. But it seems as now, though, that the, uh, the Okinawans have a better position as a prefecture. There's no question that the central government can dominate an election in a local, in, in a small community like Mag Nago. Right. There's no question that they can shift a few thousand votes through uh, offering uh, offers of, of, of future subsidies, of, of future uh, budget allocations, all kinds of things. You can buy votes mm -hmm. on a small scale, but on a, on a prefectural scale, it gets much more difficult. And in this case, I think that the Okinawans have a much stronger position for resistance when we look at the, the December election for the governor, where Governor Onaga is going up for his re-election, as Inamine was going for the Nago city election. When, when Governor Onaga is in, in place, then you have tourism, you have new business, there are a lot of Things like telephone call centers that work out universities. Of, there are lots of things. Lots of things that mm -hmm. they used to not have. Uh, they used to be very dependent on the bases and very dependent on government right. spending. That's the the Okinawan economy, particularly with the arrival of East Asians, whether it's South Koreans, whether it's Chinese vacationing mm -hmm. in Okinawa. Uh, that 
gives them far more leverage on a prefecture-wide basis to resist the, the obvious pressures and inducements of the main go island government. You know, the, the victory was won by a very narrow margin, 3,500 votes. That's still a great deal when you think about it. It's, it's, it's a big chunk, it's it, 3,500 out of, out of uh, fewer than 60,000 votes. That's, that's, that's not a bad win. Well, what it tells you though is that they voted with their pocketbooks, not so much with, with the, the politics. They, you know, they want their city to flourish and, and get, um, you know, all of the, the largest it can from Tokyo, but also have a, a good lifestyle for their, um, you know, the people that live there. Yeah, and, and the history's on their side. They were able to get it and then walk away from the deal in the past. <laughs> Maybe they think they'll get away with it again. And given the, the uh, importance of the move right. of Henneko to, I mean, of Tenma to Henneko, for the, the Abe government's reputation, not only vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Japan's conservatives, but also vis-a-vis -vis the United States, it's very likely that the, that, that the whip hand is still in the right. citizens of, of Nago City, who at some point in the future can always turn their backs on the deal. Well, the reason why we talk about this is because geopolitically it is very important that the marine air base moves from Fatima to Henneko. Or at least stays within, uh, within Okinawa, at least for the geostrategic positioning of the United States. That's always been the reason why it, these forces cannot be moved somewhere else. The, Okinawa is where they must be, has been the United States' mm -hmm. position. If that is so, where can they be on the island? Because where they are That's now right. is too, simply too dangerous for civilians. And that has been absolutely hammered home this past winter as Helicopters have been going down, both SDF, self-defense forces, but also pieces of U.S. helicopters have been falling off. And every time something lands somewhere, of course, helicopters are not, you know, a very stable platform. Uh, things are going to come, sometimes come loose, come off, whatever, no matter how well you do it. I mean, the, 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 the tragic accident in Saga right. involving the SDF helicopter that just fell out of the sky, uh, that all is playing to the narrative that the, the Tenma base must be moved and it must go to Henneko. Mm -hmm. And the, the election is just simply one chapter in what is a long-term story that is going to continue as long as the United States insists on having a position on Okinawa. Is this the end of the story for Henneko? Mayor Toguchi is now in office and does that mean that construction will now sail? I think it's going to be very good and very clear for them. Uh, nevertheless, there will still be grandmas at the gates lying down in front of the trucks. They will have to be removed. There will be all kinds of- There's a of lawsuit going on. There are all kinds of protests that will continue to go on. The government will make every effort that no one ever gets killed in any of these protests mm. because death is in, in, in protest reverberates over the decades. Mm. Uh, but there's going to be constant conflict. At the same time, uh, there is the ocean there. And indeed, they have made most of the effort not bringing thing, trucks in, but indeed doing everything from the sea. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're, you're, you're dealing with a few kayakers, and they have been relatively easy to handle. Right. The only other important thing about why we're talking about this is because it tees up the governor's race before the governor's race is the assembly race. And this looks like the LDP, since it's won this time, it really needs to win number two, perhaps, but definitely number three. Number three seems to be what they really want to do. I still doubt that they have the momentum to do so. It, as I said, it, it's a lot more expensive than I think they can afford in terms of promises and that the Okinawan economy is simply too diversified. Right. 
Moving the Marine Air Base from Fatemma to Henico is a big issue that we've been watching for a long time. We're going to continue to watch this. You should too. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. It is February 13th, 2018. Just 10 days ago, the Trump administration issued the U.S. Nuclear Policy Review that's caused a bit of a storm here in Tokyo. Michael, there's a little bit of controversy flowing here, isn't uh, there? A lot of controversy that's going on in terms of what is Japan's position. Japan is the only country that has ever suffered a nuclear attack and has, as a part of its fundamental principles, both an aversion to not only nuclear weapons, but nuclear power. Now, thanks to the Fukushima disaster, it's more, more a hatred than an right. aversion. And has, as a part of its foreign policy, something called the, the three non-nuclear principles, that there, Japan will not have nuclear weapons, it will not allow the transit of them through its waters and territories, that there is an anti-nuclear stance that is built into the Japanese governmental uh, format. Now... Mm -hmm. Upon the release of the Nuclear Posture Review, which, which is a bit of saber-rattling, isn't it? It's a huge amount of saber-rattling on the part of the Trump administration. Which Maybe necessary. Probably poss necessary. Possibly in terms of setting up some kind of propaganda point that can be later talked back down in regards to both developments that are going on in Russia in terms of intermediate-range missiles, but more importantly, having to do with North Korea. Or a bloody nose without actually delivering a bloody nose. Well, we won't even try to get into that because the, the non-appointment of Victor Cha is a complete disaster yes. for U.S. policy, but we're not a U.S. policy uh, shop as far as mm -hmm. we know. But in terms of the nuclear issue, the, that the, the Abe government, through its foreign minister, Kono Taro, who himself is an anti-nuclear activist. Yes. Kono Taro. He has caught an awful lot of heat for that, hasn't He's he? He's an officially, he personally is an anti-nuclear activist, an anti-nuclear power activist, to be sure. But to have him standing there and saying that the new Nuclear Posture Review, which expands the United States' potential deployment and use of nuclear weapons in warfare. It enhances the likelihood that it could happen. The likelihood that they could be used in some kind of military way, uh, that Japan would not only value it, but highly value it, right. and have him deliver that yes. message has been, uh, has been just absolutely had some people in, in, in absolute, both in tears and absolutely shaking in rage. Right, well we see this with him every once in a while where he steps out of his official role and he makes a, a personal comment. For example, he did this a couple of weeks ago about renewable energy. And that where he and went against the government line, right? but now he's back in the government line. And, and his, his statement last week about uh, the NPR was, you know, rah rah, I think that was from the cabinet position, which he, he needs to say, and he needs to say that clearly. There's also the question of this, there's a particular in, the, the, all of this seems to rotate around a single weapon system that the United States doesn't even have anymore, which are cruise missiles launched from US nuclear submarines that have nuclear warheads on them. These were removed from the arsenal under the, under the, the elder Bush administration and completely dismantled under the Obama administration because it was considered that these were simply not militarily usable mm -hmm. uh, devices. That second act of, of simply disposing of them was strongly fought by Japan's foreign policy bureaucracy without 
telling the political classes. And indeed, one of the huge embarrassments for the incoming Democratic Party when it came into power in 2009 was having to somehow assert its authority, Okada Katsuyo was the, was the new foreign ministry, over the bureaucrats and finding out that they had argued that bureaucrats entirely gone rogue, had gone to Washington and had argued against the Obama administration's wish to get rid of these weapons. And this is Japan. Didn't the get that memo yet? This is Japan arguing for the keeping of nuclear weapons when the, the official line of the entire government is that disarmament is the best thing right. for everybody. That, and then the, the Democratic Party had to walk back what had been done in public. And pretty then, embarrassing. And it's pretty embarrassing. Now, the, 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 actually, the, the, the language of, of the Japanese government hones in again upon this weapons system. Now, they say that it, it enhances extended deterrence, which is deterrence not that the United States employs for its own defense, but on, in terms of its allies. Somehow, this right. weapons system, because it can be popped up out of the ocean and fired at there's only one country that it matters, North Korea, though some people say it is necessary to counter Russian developments. This is basically an idea that you can use nuclear weapons tactically in what is not a full-out ballistic missile exchange between superpowers, but to, abs to deliver that bloody nose, mm -hmm. that, 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 that idea of a... Of a, a, a Limited. A, a, a strike that shocks the other country into stopping the cycle of escalation. Right. Anyone who tries to work out the mathematics or, or, or the logic of, of this kind of exchange n never is able to prove that you can use a nuclear weapon and the other side will right. respond. That it, it's just maddening to think about that. But the, they, there are Americans who have argued that indeed the United States must have this because the, the Russians have this capability that they can start a limited nuclear war and then stop and dare the United States to destroy life on this planet. Right. Uh, any way you argue this, it seems mad and mutually assured destruction is what's left over. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the Japanese government, particularly the elements of the Japanese bureaucracy are absolutely wedded to this thing. Sure, sure. And no one to this day knows why. And it's never been examined in the diet and now that this has happened, that the, that the government has fully gone in on the nuclear posture review, repudiating what was done under the Democratic Party when it was in power, we're going to see something going on in the diet. It's going to be there are going to be questions at some point, and it'll be up to the various committee heads, especially in terms of foreign policy, to see how much um, Kono Tower is going to be dragged over the coals for this. Mm -hmm. Well, the nuclear policy review was issued 10 days ago, seven days before the Olympics, the Winter Olympics started in South Korea with the heads of state, not the, quite the heads of state of, of the United States, Vice President Pence went there with Prime Minister Abe and President Moon. That's right. And also, as we saw, the sister of Kim Jong-un. So they, there were various persons of various levels there. And... Mike Pence put on a show of, of petulant, strong-jawed sure. Americanism, uh, and that didn't play well internationally. But Mr. Abe, when, when the, the Korean teams came out in a joint uh, formation, the fact that Mike Pence stayed seated 
despite the fact it was the Korean team, the home team, the, 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 the country that was hosting it, and the president sure. was right of that country was right next to him standing up, he sat down. And th that got a lot of bad press, but Mr. Abe was down too. Sure. And stayed down. Of course, Mr. Abe has his own set of excuses why he can do that, part of which is the very prominent blue dot that is the island of Takeshima slash Dokdo, uh, which Korea, South Korea controls. Uh, it was on the, the it was on the flag on the flag, which, given the si the scale, it should not have been visible. Right. Uh, the, the rest of it's a really tiny piece of of dirt, you know, in the middle of the ocean. But you could see it from far away. Uh, and that they this is this is all in part, your nose. Yeah, this is all a part of the in your face yep. approach of the South Korean government that the North Korean government had, where they agree completely. Mm -hmm. Let's stick it to the Japanese on this one. Uh, the, because Japan also claims that island as its own territory, right. uh, that he could sit down now and not be criticized internationally. Also, everybody pays attention to the United States. Mm -hmm. the, the meetings, however, and the atmosphere uh, have... The atmospherics, are, right. are, 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 are at least for this week, and maybe next week, there are going to be all kinds of shiftings of various positions. It, fundamentally, it's not going to change much. In that same week, that this last week, we also had what the uh, arms control wonks call Juche Fest, mm -hmm. which is when North Korea has its parade of latest missiles. What great timing. Uh, perfect. for just, just as the Olympics are starting, also put on this, this parade of missiles and send your sister. Kim Jong-un's having, a good, having mm -hmm. a good week. Okay, fine. Uh, but next week's going to be different. The, the, the uh, North Korean cheerleaders have gone home. Uh, it's going to be a different situation and, we'll, and a more normal politics will probably reassert itself. Nevertheless, uh, the United States' position in the region is really ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And uh, because even though there's a great deal of you know, masculine chest thumping and all that, the, the, the reality is, is that China is the more important place, and that's where the nuclear posture view comes into it. It's it's M Mr. Trump's saying to the to the rest of Asia, not just to Kim Jong Un, as he said in his tweet, "I've got a big button on my desk, right. and mine's bigger than yours, uh, and it's going to be b even bigger because." Under my po nuclear posture review, we're going to have modernization. We're going to have uh, new weapons systems that are going to be put in. Mm. That's that's the question. Is of course what in terms of the geopolitics of the region, the, what of anything that the Trump administration now does is real, right? And what is what is simply uh, a a a blustery a stance, a stance, a, a fashion, a, 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 a something that once it's said. We can forget, right? That's and that's that's the uh, the chess grandmaster Kasparov, who now tweets a lot in English, said, in terms of the dictator, and he was speaking both about Putin and about about Trump. He was picking, he says it's not what import, it's not important what they said in the past. What's important is the next thing uh -huh. that that they say, uh, and indeed that's that's basically what this nuclear posture review was. Here I am, sure. I'm saying something. But a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, it will be in the past, and very likely, uh, even it'll be forgotten. But mm -hmm. here in Japan, in terms of Japan's support of that, 
uh, the, the politics is still a little bit different, and indeed, I think the government's going to be held to account. Well, Vice President Pence just said yesterday that if they want to talk, sure, we can talk. Yeah. So he's, he's changed, this is a really fluid environment, and there's even from talk about the bloody nose to the NPR and then sitting at the, the, on the same um, stand with watching the, the opening of the Olympics, a lot of dynamics going on here and a lot of, a lot of uh, fluidity. And indeed, just like the Olympics, a lot of it's for show. Mm -hmm. What's going on in North Korea captures our attention. We're continuing to watch it. You should too. Please stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is February 13th, 2018. I'm joined today by Glenn Fukushima, who is a well-known observer of U.S.-Japan relations, a longtime observer. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you. It's good to be here. This must be like your fourth time on the show, then. I think it is, yeah. That's great. Well, it's great. You bring such insight and expertise into an issue that we talk about all the time, the U.S.-Japan relationship. And on today's topic, I'd like to focus on what's going on with North Korea. You're following that very closely. You're you're following what the Trump administration is doing. You've read the a nuclear policy review that they just issued 10 days ago. There's a lot going on. Sure, well, me in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of focus on North Korea and uh, what the administration should be doing with North Korea. And uh, just recently with the Olympics going on in South Korea, uh, Vice President Pence was out there and he met with um, President Moon. And according to the Washington Post... He just changed a couple his tune a little bit, didn't he? That's right, that's right. According to the Post, where on the plane going back to the U.S., Vice we President talk. Pence <laughs> said that uh, the U.S. is willing to talk. Uh, while applying the sanctions mm-hmm. to North Korea, the U.S. is willing to talk. And so that seems to be a, a, a new, yes. new uh, phase. And there's a lot going on. I mean, we were talking about a little bit of a bloody nose, and then mm-hmm. they switched the stance for the the appoint not the appointed ambassador, but one of the nominees. The nominee. Yes. Well, so back in uh, June of last year, uh, there were rumors floating that Victor Cha would be nominated to be the U.S. ambassador to South Korea. And Victor, I know quite well. He's he must a Columbia be a good PhD. friend of yours. Uh, well, we're not good friends. We're friends. And uh-huh. uh, he's a Columbia PhD. I was actually at Columbia University a couple of weeks ago giving a speech. And uh, Jerry Curtis, a professor of Japanese politics, who's been on your program before, right. he, is, he was one of the advisors for Victor when Victor was getting his PhD from Columbia. But I, I've known Victor because he was working in the National Security Council during the George W. Bush administration, working on Northeast Asia, including uh, Korea. He's written a couple of books on uh, Korea, and uh, he's quite knowledgeable and experienced, a kind of a mainstream Republican. So when his name was floated in uh, June of last year, people thought, well, it's you know, good. For, the Bush, uh, for the Trump administration, that's a pretty reasonable mm-hmm. appointment. But uh, it's been months and months and months, and people kept saying, well, any day now, any day now. And then it turned out a couple of weeks ago that apparently the White House notified him that he's no longer on the list. And then soon after that, he wrote, Victor wrote an article in the um, Washington Post, an op-ed piece, in which he argued against the bloody nose strategy. So it appears that in private yeah. conversations over the last several months, he's been advising the administration that it would not be a good idea to have a preemptive strike. And uh, some people in the White House apparently felt that uh, it, uh, they couldn't have an ambassador who would be so openly critical of uh, one of the options that's being considered by the administration. So his name has been dropped. Uh, And uh, what's strange about that, though, is that they had spent months and months going through the clearance process, and um, uh, they went through all the security investigations and FBI scrutiny and the White House scrutiny and the financial disclosures and everything. Everything passed through. And and in addition, they actually asked the South Korean government for their agreement, the agreement, which is necessary, and they issued it. So everything seemed to be in place, but at the last minute, 
steam was pulled. And so there seems not to be an obvious alternate uh, choice. And even if a person is nominated tomorrow, it'll take at least two or three months to go through the whole process again. Well, it seems to be telegraphing a move because to just kind of cancel the nominee for ambassadorship Mm -hmm. because of his stance on issuing a bloody nose, that seems pretty huge. Well, so people are drawing all kinds of implications out of this. Um, But, you know, you never know what what the real reason is. So, I mean, it it could actually be that there are some other, other reasons, but it does seem... Uh, at least based on all the evidence so far, that um, that was one of the major issues that led to his name being pulled. Right. Well, one of the other things that came up over the last two weeks is the issue of the NPR, the Nuclear Policy Review, mm-hmm. which was issued by the president. And it right. says, you know, the, the threshold for issuing maybe a punch is not as high as it used to be. Hmm. Well, there is a lot of debate about that new policy. That must cause a lot of people to, you know, pucker up. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. It's not quite fighting words, but apparently something needs to be said demonstrably so that North Korea, uh, you know, it's not going to back down, I guess. It's going to continue on with its policy. Yeah, you know, actually, I don't know that it's um, correct to draw an explicit link between the new nuclear policy and the North Korea issue, because um, the whole issue around North Korea is... um, uh, to what extent to engage in negotiations and uh, whether or not the uh, notion of having negotiations without any preconditions is something that's possible, which actually Secretary of State Tillerson has said he would like to do. And now Vice President Pence seems to be agreeing with, but it's not clear because the president himself said at some point in the past that uh, the Secretary of State is wasting his time if he wants to talk with the, with the North Koreans. Um, but, uh, but clearly, uh, the administration is trying to make some changes in, uh, in security policy, including the nuclear weapons review, which um, may or may not be linked to the North Korean issue. Well, it's so important for the Japanese because, I mean, even Konotaro, Foreign Minister Konotaro, was in favor of the U.S. stance, you know, their more bold approach mm-hmm. to dealing with North Korea. And when the vice president visited, he, he spent time with the, the prime minister, and mm-hmm. they went to uh, the, the Olympic ceremonies, the opening mm-hmm. ceremonies, right. as, a, as a cohesive group. And mm-hmm. I don't know how, how much uh, oomph that, that paid off. Well, I think there's no question that uh, President Trump, Vice President Pence, and Prime Minister Abe, and uh, Foreign Minister Kono are in close cooperation, in close contact, and um, have, um, I think, also I've heard that um, the National Security Council head, uh, Yachi, and his counterpart in the United States, McMaster, are always in close touch. So. There seems to be very close alignment on uh, North Korea with regard to the U.S. and Japan. It's, it's really, really kind of South Korea that's kind of the the uh, the question mark right now. That's right. It, they got a little bit chummy in the United States. Well, and the North the, Koreans tried very hard to sure get them they to put be on chummy. the charm offensive. <laughs> that's right. It was very charming. Well, it was it was very interesting. That, Except that for the military the, parade, Kim Jong Un would would send his uh, younger sister to you know meet with uh, President Moon. Yep. So and. But according to the Washington Post, the interview that Josh Rogan had, uh, apparently the vice president in his meeting with President Moon agreed that they could take a kind of two-step approach and have South Korea and North Korea have some discussion, and then Mm -hmm. perhaps following up on that between the United States and North Korea. It's really fluid, isn't it? So it's uh, interesting. Every day's new. Yep. The president went to Davos as well. Yeah, he went to Davos, Switzerland in the end of January. 
People were surprised even that he went. Because, I was surprised he went. <laughs> because I've been to Davos several times myself for the World Economic Forum, and it is a meeting of the so-called globalists, the kind of people that Steve Bannon considered to be the enemy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the fact that the president went was a surprise. And then when he went, there were two things, I think, that caught people's attention. One was that uh, in his speech, he said America first does not mean America alone. So it gave the impression that he's a little bit more... He's toned down a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Uh, but he basically wanted to say America's open business, so he wanted people to know that the U.S. is receptive in for, uh, foreign direct investment in the United States. But the other, probably the more significant um, uh, statement was uh, on CNBC in an interview. He said that um, he's open to doing TPP if it was a substantially better deal. <laughs> and so that raised, you know, I got actually headlines uh, all over Asia because that's the first time that anyone can remember that Donald Trump has had had. had Anything positive to say about TPP? Well, he very rarely backs off of anything like uh, the wall. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, he keeps flipping. You he know? does. He keeps changing his, uh, his statements. I don't know about his views, but his statements. And so it's hard to know what he really thinks. He looked really good in Davos. And I think he's, he's starting to look a little bit more presidential. The State of the Union, I thought he did uh, mm -hmm. very well. Mm -hmm. um, he looked great. He gesticulated. He held the audience's attention. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked for an awful long time. Yeah, that's right. It was one of the longer stated uh, the union speeches. And yeah, but I mean, I think um, it's true that he was able to um, uh, claim a lot of attention to what he was saying, but he also had a lot of very, and on the one hand, he said he's being uh, inclusive and nonpartisan, but actually a lot of his comments were very partisan. Except for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so it was interesting uh, how the Democrats responded to that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on in Washington, D.C. You're kind of living it every day. You're there a good portion well, of the time? Well, actually, I'm there only about 60% of the time. I, I, I find it um, uh, kind of uh, better to go outside of Washington, in part because being in Washington, so much of the news from morning till night is about Trump and the administration, that it's hard to know what's going on in the rest of the world. So it's when I go to, uh, I went to Germany uh, last uh, November and, and to uh, England in December and San Francisco and then Tokyo. But it's, um, it's nice to get out to see what's going mm -hmm. on in the rest of the world. Well, it's so great to have you on the show because we don't focus on U.S. politics here. We talk mostly about Japanese politics. But yeah. you've been a player here for a long time. Your career was built here. And you've been doing U.S.-Japan trade for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, the Trump administration looks like it can act unilaterally on any trade agreements that it has because uh, the president has said TPP is, is off the table. And if we're going to do it, we're going to do it you know, one-on-one -on -one, or mm -hmm. we're just going to carve our own path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so being in Washington and having worked at USTR from, for five years from 85 to 90 and knowing many of the people involved in trade, it, it is interesting to see that in the Trump administration, it reminds you a lot of about the 1980s. You know, number one, focusing on the bilateral trade deficit. The, the fisticuffs? Well, fo focusing on the deficit itself, which is not common. <laughs> a lot of economists would say that it's totally um, Oh, the, uh, the, the deficit is, the that's deficit the source itself, of, of the why we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's one issue. And then the issue, as you said, about um, always favoring uh, bilateral and, uh, and, and unilateral as opposed to multilateral. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I think that um, people like Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Representative, who actually was a deputy USTR when I was at USTR in the 80s, uh, he and I think others, some others in the administration uh, would not look unfavorably upon 
trade restrictive solutions as opposed to trade expansive solutions. Mm -hmm. Usually, administrations have been market focused access, on opening up markets. Right. But I think in this administration, there may be some emphasis on restricting trade in terms of trying to, because I mean, the, the, I mean, Lighthizer himself has written and said he's very proud of the fact that when he was a, a deputy U.S. chair in the Reagan administration, that the administration successfully limited uh, steel exports from Japan to the United States, auto exports from Japan to the United States, um, motorcycles, uh, consumer electronics, uh, semiconductors. So it, there is, uh, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the rhetoric reminds me of the 1980s. Right. So it's it's quite interesting in that regard. And in, in the first year of the Trump administration, there was a lot of rhetoric, but very little action. But in the second year, this year, I, I predict that there will be some action, especially on China, that we'll see. You know what happened the last time was this uh, reciprocity, mm, right? That's, so that's if, a key word, reciprocity. Do, exactly. Yeah. So if so. you're going to do that to us, we're going to do that to you too. So you right. might get a little bit of a bump out of that, yep. but in the long term, you, you might suffer some damage. So in the State of the Union address, uh, the president said uh, that uh, he expects uh, trade to be fair and above all reciprocal. And so he really focused on that word. And when he had the, um, the uh, summit meeting with Prime Minister Abe, the first formal official meeting uh, between Trump as president and uh, obvious prime minister on the 10th of February in Washington, D.C. Again, he said, uh, from now on, I expect that uh, trade relations with the U.S. Japan will be free, fair, and reciprocal. With emphasis on reciprocal. So that, that's something new. Well, one of the things you can't forget is that this relationship between Japan and the United States is so strong and it's so key to the rest of what's going on uh, throughout Southeast Asia and Asia generally. It seems like the big boogie bear is China. Well, clearly, I mean, it's, the, it's got the hugest uh, deficit, for instance. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I expect that much of the attention on trade will be on NAFTA first and uh, Chorus and China. Mm -hmm. And I think Japan, although uh, the president and the, and the vice president uh, and others have said that they'd like to have a bilateral FTA with Japan, it seems like that's probably lower on the priority compared to NAFTA, Chorus, and China. The last time we talked, Glenn, we were still waiting for individuals to be put into the important mm -hmm. positions. Right. That has been somewhat filled by, by now, but it's not complete, is it? Uh, there have been some <laughs> positions filled, but um, I, I think uh, the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia, for instance, there's no nominee even yet uh, for that position. and. Uh, yeah, I think I th the other day I saw on the news in the U.S. that uh, something like only 80% uh, of the ambassadors have been filled. So wow. that means 20% are still unfilled, including South Korea. And the South Korean one is a, is a really big one. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, a very important spot. one. It's a, it's a quite a quite an important one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Getting any kind of traction out of the rhetoric that the president is espousing mm -hmm. takes time, doesn't it? I mean, you've been involved in the trenches before you know, to follow up with policies and, and um, methods of, of implementing what the president wants done. Well, actually, I think there's two parts to it. You know, if you actually want to do something uh, in a proactive or a constructive, uh, positive way, it does take time. On the other hand, if you want to withdraw, you can do that quickly, like TPP. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the president withdrew from TPP on the 23rd of January, her first business day after the inauguration, uh, withdrawing from the cl uh, climate accord, or um, you know, That's right. That's withdrawing right. is easy. It's getting getting out. You can do quickly, but trying to do something new. Say, sure. Sir, if you say, for instance, you want to start an FTA negotiation with Japan, it will require time to first have a strategy and you know what, knowing what you want to achieve, and then putting the people together, and then 
decidedly tactics to achieve it. So I think that will take time. Well, it also demoralizes the troops, doesn't it? I mean, you've got a machine that's going in this direction, and, and when you kind of pull it back, mm -hmm. the, the troops, they lose their enthusiasm and their, their commitment to kind of see the, the goals that are being painted for them. Yeah, but I think the U.S. system, I mean, the U.S. system and the Japanese system are kind of the polar opposites mm -hmm. in the sense that in the U.S. system, you have 4,000 new political appointees coming into the administration. In Japan, in 2009, when there was a first, I think, first time in 54 years that you had a non-LDP uh, uh, majority in the lower house, there was not a single bureaucrat that changed. And so, uh, so you know, Canada, Australia, UK, these are France, Germany, they're all in between the two. But I think the U.S., um, because so many of the senior positions are filled by new people, they actually are able to get sure. things to change. Whereas mm -hmm. in some places like Japan, it's very difficult because, you know, the bureaucracy is pretty much a permanent bureaucracy. Real estate agents love that in Washington, D.C., don't they? Oh, yeah, and the turnover is great. <laughs> <laughs> what do you perceive happening in the next eight months, for example, between the United States and Japan, trade-related? Trade-related, you know, I don't know that there's going to be all that much happening. Uh, I think that the uh, dialogue that uh, Vice President Pence and uh, Deputy, Secretary, Deputy uh, Prime Minister Aso have started, this will probably continue. Um, and I also think that because the U.S. withdrew from TPP, there are certain American industries like the beef industry that feel that they are being disadvantaged. As I mentioned before, you know, Australian beef gets in a 27.2% tariff. It's going to go down 19%. U.S. tariff is 38.5% for U.S. beef getting into Japan. So increasingly, the, the American beef exporters are going to be disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. So clearly, I think that is an area where uh, specific industries, uh, the American companies will go to the U.S. government and ask for relief. And so there may be some bilateral negotiations on those products. Terrific insight, Glenn. Thank you very much. It's always great to sit with you. Is there anything else you'd like to add to add flavor to the policy review that the Trump administration is going through? So in talking about all these trade issues, I think one thought to keep in mind is that uh, so much of what's going on in Washington now is domestically driven. And so part of it has to do with the economy, how well the economy is doing. Uh, for instance, if um, although the economy is doing quite well, you know, GDP growth is pretty good, uh, unemployment is low, stock market was very good, <laughs> it's now gone up and down a lot. Um, if the economy really turns in a negative direction, I think that would be one uh, indication of the likelihood of greater trade conflict, because I think that the administration may very well point to countries like China as causing unemployment and causing problems for the United States. And the other is the political situation in the U.S. with the Mueller investigation and also with the midterm elections coming up in November, November 6th midterm elections. I think those will also kind of set the environment or background of what's going on. Uh, I mean, these may appear to be international issues, and they are, but I think that there's always this kind of domestic context that we have to keep in mind. It seems that the Trump administration is characterized somewhat by quick fixes. You know, mm. you, it pops up and you just hit it real quick and mm. you move on. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's true that uh, partly because of all the personnel changes, I, I think people are having a hard time coming up with what is a, uh, a Trump doctrine or a Trump um, uh, strategy. Mm. Other than America first, right. <laughs> it doesn't seem you know, that there's a really coherent uh, foreign policy strategy that uh, people can define. Trying to peer through what the Trump administration policy is towards Asia. Please stay tuned.